Yeah, has everybody had a good week this week? People been off? Half yeah. No, people still working? Still, <laughs> like, yeah, well, the, our kids have been off, so I've booked it off. So we, we took a trip to Knowsley Safari Park. Anybody been there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great, isn't it, Knowsley? Yeah, you get to drive around all the animals. I get, I, if you've not been before, you, like, you get right up close. We had camels walking in between us. It's pretty amazing to watch, uh, to be in the safari like that. But like, there's, one, there's one bit where you get a decision. Like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> to, yeah, to baboon or not to baboon? Yes. That is the question. So who, who would go through the baboons? Not you. Yes, yes, classic. Yes. We, we did not go through the baboons. We, we like our car. It's, it's like too pricey. Like it's one of those things where we don't have enough money really to, to go and fix it. But it's not cheap enough where it's like, oh, it will only be a tenner to fix. So we, we came to those massive warning signs. You know the ones where right before you come in, it's, it's not, they don't hold anything back, do they? It's like, it's not your car, you could get damaged. It's not, it might get damaged. No, your car will get damaged by beware of the baboons. And people still do it. And I don't know why, like, even with a massive warning sign. Um, which does bring us to this passage, because at the end of the Mammoth Wisdom, here Jesus changes his tone a little bit here. So we've gone through, where, through the past couple where he's uh, taking uh, quite often Jewish or traditional sayings and putting a new spin on it. But here, it's not necessarily a spin. He's given some warnings here, some massive warnings. So a bit like the baboons, by swift, smoother transition there from story about baboons to the Bible. <laughs> but if you want to turn with me to Matthew 7. So we're going to be starting at verse 13. The words will come up on the screen behind me also, I think. At least for this passage. The rest of any other Bible passages uh, probably won't. So, I'll start at 13. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, Many will say, say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracle, many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I'm going to stop there, so we're going to read the, the last little bit later. But you see, what well, I said there, three quite big warnings there. So we're just going to go into them, break them down, to try and see what Jesus is trying to tell us here. So... So the narrow gate and the wide gate. So here Jesus has offered us a quite clear choice. There's a narrow gate 
one which leads to life and a wide gate, which has many options, really, because it's quite a wide gate. And if you think about our, our society today, he could be speaking into our society right now, because we live in quite a consumeristic society, don't we? You get a lot of choices today. You get so many things, like, but Jesus here is only giving two options. And I, I, I thought this was a bit like, you know, McDonald's and other burger joints. So I think I've got a picture um, of two burgers, and it's a bit like choosing between these two burgers. Sorry if I'm going to make you hungry. This is the first of two food things, so I do apologize. Um, but there will be biscuits at the end, you can get for the kids. But, so you, you, you see, you've got McDonald's as one option, where they've got loads of them, don't they? They have them everywhere. You can go around the corner here, you can pick up that burger, that McDonald's burger. You can go, you can go to any country, apart from Russia, uh, you can go to any country, and you can get that burger, that thing. It doesn't really look like a burger, really. Or, there's, an, there's the other option, which is a small burger joint. Maybe it's uh, hidden away somewhere in the northern quarter. Maybe it's all down your local high street somewhere else. There's a small burger joint where they do the best burgers. There's no burger better than this burger joint. Man, I'm making myself hungry. <laughs> I really regret talking about burgers now. But you can go and get this burger, but there's only one place that does it. And I just want to take a survey. Who would go for McDonald's right now? <laughs> come on, wow. Wow. That was not, I was not expecting many answers. Okay, but who would go for that second burger joint? That, that one which is the best? Yes. Yes. And see, that, that's the options Jesus has given here. There's a broad gate, many options, you can go through it, there's many different ways to it, or there's this narrow gate. There's this narrow, and there's only one way to it. And we know that the one way to it is Jesus. Jesus is the only way to get through that narrow gate. And it, we can think, it's quite, it, we could coast our faith, couldn't we? We could think, oh, I can just get by, well, I don't think Jesus is saying that, because it takes real action. And the language, the story that Jesus is trying to tell is a little bit like the snicket. So you get, uh, I don't know if you're calling a snicket, but you know when you're going on a walk into random woods and there's that little like passageway to get to the next field. That's the sort of image that we've got here. Like that only one person can go through at a time. And, it's all, and these sort of choices God has given before. In Deuteronomy 30, 15, 30, Verse 15 to 18, God gave the Israelites, uh, gave them this word. He said, today I offer you life and prosperity or death and destruction. This is what I'm commanding you today. Love the Lord your God, follow his directions and obey his commands, laws and rules. Then you will live, your population will increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're about to enter and take possession of. That's the sort of similar language there. The, similar choice because he goes on to say well god tells them that but your hearts might turn away you might not listen you might be tempted to bow down to other gods and worship them if you do i'll tell you today that you will certainly be destroyed and you will not live for a long time in the land that you're going to take possession of and when you cross the river of the jordan river like in that now, word there to the Israelites, there was a very specific thing of like, you can go other ways. It wasn't just like, you can go one other way. There's many other gods they could worship. There's many other places they could go. Or 
You can get life and fulfillment through crossing the river, through following my path, through following my rules, my laws, my everything. That's, and that's what God gives here. And what Jesus gives us in the narrow and the wide gate, this choice, this choice. And it can see, like I can phrase it quite easily, like, oh, there's life for Jesus, because I know the life of Jesus in me, and then there's death and destruction, but it can be a difficult choice. Because when we take Jesus, there's certain things that we have to drop. Because Jesus involves transforming our hearts and our lives. So taking the path which is less traveled is not always the easy one. Even though it sounds great when you talk about Jesus in life, it can be a difficult choice. And it can be easy to be swayed the, to the other way. So Because it goes on, Jesus in the past to talk about true and false prophets. And one of the, and this warning is, so, is about, it's linked to this, to narrow and the wide gate, because the true and false prophets, they're people who either want to lead you to the, the narrow gate, to bring you closer to Jesus, or they want to draw you away to the broader uh, gate. And I think it's safe to make an assumption here, I believe, that Jesus, in Jesus' time, that there were people like this, that there were false prophets while Jesus was saying this. Because, you know, you wouldn't go to Manchester City Centre and shout, there's sharks around, would you? You're not going to declare the sharks, because you're nowhere near the sea, there's nothing there, so that would be weird of you. And then you're not going to go take a cruise and then start shouting that there's a bear on board, unless somebody brought a pet bear. Like, there, there's no reason to, to have that warning. But here, Jesus gives a warning that there are false prophets. So it's safe to say that in Jesus' day, there were false prophets. And even today, I think there'll be people who, we would, who could be false prophets, who are leading us a different way. And it's not always obvious. Because Jesus says here that they come... In, come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So it's, it's not always obvious, is it? People can say things and sound right and do the right things, but they could just be leading you astray. And back in Jesus, back before, before Jesus' day, like when there were other false prophets, the Israelites had uh, a way to figure it out, but it wasn't the, mo the easiest way. It, it, it was very much a, let's wait and see, like it, in the Israelites. So when somebody came and said something, and they said they were a prophet, and they had, they had to be like, is this true, or is this false, is this God, or is this not? Their option was to wait and see. Like, well, this guy's predictions come true. That was their only option. And given that if you take a bunch of monkeys and you have them all typing, you would eventually get the works of Shakespeare somewhere down the line. Like, I imagine that it's even harder when if somebody says enough things, that eventually they'll get something that is slightly right, won't they? But the main thing about these prophets is they're distracting us and directing us away from Jesus and the truth. So what's the advice that Jesus gives us about these false prophets? He tells us to look at their fruit. And that can be a bit vague, but like, looking at fruit is really important 
Like, for me, this is my second food analogy, so uh, I'm going to talk about apples, because I love apples. Anybody else an apple lover? No, no, yes, yes, I see nods, I see nods. Like, apples are great, and when you get a proper good apple, you know what I'm talking about, a proper one, where you got the proper, like, Arr! like, well, it's not that bit more aggressive, but like, the, the crunch, you get that proper crunch, you get it, it's nice and juicy, dribbling down your chin a little bit, and it's all, it's just such a great apple, that you're just there savouring every moment of it, just because it's such a beautiful apple. But I know there's times where I've seen and looked at an apple and thought, oh, this will be a good apple. But then I take that first bite, and it's a huge disappointment. <laughs> like, it's this papery, it's not crispy, it's dried in the Sahara Desert. Like, I know, and I, part of me is like, I should try, continue eating it because it's an apple, it's healthy. But then the other part of me is like, I need to get rid of it. It's no good, it's not a great apple. And this is what testing the fruit out in other people, it's getting up close and personal, getting up to, to see what they're all about, to see what their, what their lives about are like. So we need to test the fruit of, the, of, of people, so you need to test my fruit uh, as I'm here speaking. Like, it's important that you test it, fruit for when you're hearing words, when you're hearing people talk, and it's so easy, like, because in, in our celebrity-driven culture, it's so easy to, to see somebody on a YouTube video or, or anywhere and think, oh, they're saying such good things, they're doing such good things. And, like, it's so easy to just be drawn in, but to, to later on realise, eh, it's not the greatest thing in the world, because they appear good, but underneath, it's a bit dodge. Um, so I just wanted to take a little bit of a deeper look into fruit, into what Jesus... What else Jesus said about fruit? Because he says, because he talks about in John 15, we read about him saying that he is the true vine. And this is what it says, says I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He who cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears, good fr bears fruit he prunes, so that you'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word, word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Therefore, no, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that, you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. And so we see here that the fruit we have is to show ourselves that we are Jesus' disciples, that we are to love like Jesus loves, that we're to remain in Jesus, that we're to stay close to him, and that we should obey his commands, and that we should love like he did. And it goes on to say about laying our lives down for our brothers and sisters. And that is what fruitfulness looks like. It looks like becoming like Jesus and looking like Jesus. In Jeremiah 17, 
And it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So fruitfulness hasn't just been something that Jesus brought. It's been something God's always wanted from his people. He's always wanted us to be fruitful, to look and trust in God. This passage says about trusting in God. To be fruitful, we need to trust and put our trust in him. We need to not, not walk away from that trust. And Paul in the Galatians gives more to this when he talks about fruit. He talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And, in, and the context for Paul writing this was that he was that the Galatians weren't following the gospel. They were they were needed redirecting towards the true gospel, to what God was saying. Because he, he beforehand he tells them to, to to flee sexual immorality and other things to to put to death the the wills of the flesh. And it's Paul inviting us and challenging us to allow Jesus to transform us, to become more like him. The, the fruit that Jesus is talk, talking about here is personal. It's internal. It's God working in us. It's living and breathing the gospel and working that out and being filled with the Spirit of God so that we can go out and proclaim the gospel. But we can't take the warning lightly, can we, that we need to watch out for false prophets, that we need to watch out for false teachings that are drawing us away from the gospel. Because then he goes on in the in the, the the third bit, the third warning about true and false disciples. And in this bit, I get a bit confused. Um, I'm a bit of a simpleton sometimes. So, but he he lists three things. He lists prophesying, driving out demons, and miracles. And he says that these are people who never knew God, that never knew Jesus, that never knew His will. Like, if I was writing a list of things like, that were in the will of God, like, they were three things that would be pretty top of the list, like prophesying, driving out demons, many miracles. I would have them quite up there. But no, Jesus is saying that just because you perform and do good things, just because you see, ha see miracles happen, does not mean that you know Jesus. That's a big challenge, isn't it? It's because it, whenever I think about people, when I think about um, think people who have done great things, I'm like, oh, they must know Jesus. They've just driven out a demon. Like, they must know him. They've just healed somebody, or they've just seen somebody like get healed. They must know Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is saying. So when it comes to being, when it comes to knowing the will of God, when it comes to knowing what he's saying to us, it's not just about doing the right things, doing the right Christian things, doing the right spiritual things. But it's about knowing God's will for our life. About knowing what God is saying to us. About hearing and obeying and listening to what God's word is. Through, through what he says to us now, through scripture, throughout the, 
for our history, for our, what God is saying. And in Romans 12, um, as we just try and figure out what, is, what does it mean, the will of God, like Romans 12 says, uh, Paul says that not by, by not conforming to the world and having our minds renewed, that we were to be able to discern the will of God. So there's a certain element of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, having our minds renewed to, to, be on God, to get ourselves on God's level to know what the will of God is. And in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that the will of God is to give thanks in everything. That's a great thing. Give thanks, that's easy. I'll give thanks. Uh, and then 1 Peter 2.15 says the will of God is to do, do good, to shut up the fools. That's my translation of it. Like, it says it in a lot more eloquent way. But then, and in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says the will of God is to abstain from sexual immorality. And that's just a small sample of passages about what the will of God is. And there's no 10-step business plan to knowing the will of God for your life. There's no uh, set of guidelines that will help you. Like, no set of rules. Well, except in the Bible. The Bible is always good. But I mean, like, there's no sort of quick fix plan. You've got no... There's only knowing the will of God. It's only about hearing and obeying what God is saying. And then, so the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 10, he writes this. Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in great conflict, full of sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were treated, who were so treated, who suffered along with those in prison, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by righteousness, one will live by faith and take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But, do, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So the will of God includes persevering, includes staying on the right track, includes continuing towards that narrow gate, looking towards what Jesus is leading us towards, not, not, being, not going our own way, not finding other better things, but continuing on the straight path. It's important to know that the will of God for your life is not the same as the will of God for somebody else's life. That's why there's no 10-step plan, because nobody has to stay, because God speaks to us and gives us different purposes and different plans in our lives, so there's no point comparing. There's no point looking, looking at the person who's a healed, who's healed some sick people saying, why can't I do that? Because that's the will of God for their life. They're in the will of God. But if that's not the will of God for what you're doing right now, there's no point comparing. No. You're just going to set yourself down a, a road that's not right. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So we're just going to come to the final bit, and this is where Jesus rounds up all the teachings that we've gone through in the, in the wise and the foolish builder. And it says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the teachers of the law. And this is how he's closing it with this story of two people, a man who built his house on a rock and a man who built his house on the sand. And when you, I imagine when you're looking at two houses, they're probably quite similar on the outside. They probably both have like doors, windows, living rooms, whatever. But what they were founded on, what they were grounded in, is what made, made them, is what made the one crash and the one stand firm. And it all comes down to, to what, the, what made the difference between these people. And it's a, it says, the, the wise man who builds hell, oh wait, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That was the difference. That he, that the man heard God and didn't just hear God, but obeyed God. That he, he did as God said. And this always reminds me of a story in, in Acts, I think it's in Acts 15 or 13, where Paul was on the way to Macedonia, Macedonia uh, or so, somewhere, and the Holy Spirit in a moment tells Paul to stop. And Paul stops. Because Paul really wanted to go, he, he was thinking, I need to go preach the word in Macedonia, but that's not what God wanted him to do. That was not God's will. And sometimes in our lives, we need to pause and stop and to ask ourselves, what is God's will for my life? Am I living in the will of God? Am I listening to what God is saying to me? And am I acting on it? Or am I thinking of some good things? Maybe even great things. Maybe in fact, I imagine it would have been great for Paul to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel there. But it's not what God wanted him to do. God wanted him over in Asia. Because God's plans are always better than our plans. His ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I think it's really interesting that in this, the crowd recognized he preached with authority. And we need to ask ourselves today, is, are we allowing Jesus' authority to speak over our lives right now. It's Jesus' authority, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The name that we've been shouting in worship, that we've been praising, that we've been worshiping, is that authority, that authority of Jesus. What we're allowing to shape and mold our lives is He, what we're putting our foundations in. Because that needs to be our compass. Jesus is our compass to that strength the narrow path that leads to life. He is the one who will help us to know the will of God, that will keep us away from false prophets. I'm just going to end on this verse where Samuel tells Saul, or prophesies over Saul, after Saul um, didn't do exactly what God had asked. It sort of did close enough, but he took some offerings home as a sacrifice. But Samuel tells him, does the, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? 
as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So we're going to worship one, one last time. I'm going to sing that last song again. And it, it, we're not just going to give a sacrifice of praise. I want us to allow Jesus to do something in our hearts where we say, to heed, to bend my knee towards you, Jesus, to bend my knee towards the King of Kings is better. It's better than anything else. To, to know you is better than the sacrifice I can bring to, and not just know you, but to obey and listen to what you say. To put our trust in Jesus. So, if everybody wants to get in, into a position, just to allow yourselves to, whatever position works for you, to receive from Jesus right now, to hear him speak to you, to hear him say, say something to you that, that will help you get into that path. Just get into that position, whether it's standing, whether it's kneeling, whether it's sitting. We're just going to come and we're just going to, to listen and worship God this one last time.